this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindus in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today in mid december a government department told the kerala high court that ribocyclib a drug prescribed for a type of breast cancer did not meet the conditions necessary to issue a compulsory license the drug is patented and therefore cannot be made by generic manufacturers but a compulsory license if issued by the government would permit the drug to be manufactured and made available at an affordable price the case involved a woman now deceased who said that she and her husband had a joint income of 74400 rupees a month but the drug ribocyclib cost her 58140 rupees making it unaffordable A study by the Indian Council of Medical Research has found that breast cancer is one of the top cancers in women in India. Drug prices have evoked national interest following the COVID-19 pandemic, which saw widespread reporting of desperate patients turning to the black market for drugs and devices. In September, the center released the National List of Essential Medicines. The list was released after a gap of 7 years and contains 384 drugs. Interestingly, it has also added for the first time four drugs that are under patents. So what's in and out of the list? How are drug prices regulated in India and how will the inclusion of drugs on the list help? Does India need to do more to make medicines affordable and accessible? Then out of the list. How are drug prices regulated in India and how will the inclusion of drugs on the list help? Does India need to do more to make medicines affordable and accessible? To speak to us about this and more, we have with us today Malini Aizola, co-convener of the All India Drug Action Network, an independent network of several NGOs working to increase access and improve the rational use of essential medicines. Good evening Malini and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. Thank you for having me. Malini, the national list of essential medicines comprising 384 drugs was brought out recently after a gap of 7 years. The last revision to the list was in 2015. Could you give us an overview of what this list means for the drug scenario in India and how prices of drugs are regulated? Um sure of course. Um so the national list of essential medicines is essentially a document that has been prepared by experts uh, through a consultative process in India um involving various stakeholders and it basically lists essential medicines that are meant to address the health needs of the population. Um the objective is basically that these medicines should be available at all times at the various uh, levels of the health system in um adequate quantities and in the appropriate dosage forms and strengths and uh the selection of the specific medicines is also based on an assessment of several factors such as safety efficacy the cost of the treatment but also uh, on some uh country specific aspects such as the disease burden health priorities uh epidemiological trends in the country etc um so in theory in india it is meant to guide drug policies procurement and in this case we see that predominantly public procurement by state governments that use the nlem to develop their own state lists of essential medicines um and also to promote the rational use of medicines uh, however since 2013 the list has actually been li- linked systematically to price regulation such that all the essential medicines are now subjected to price caps under something called the drug prices control order the dpco 
And really, uh, the attempt is to ensure that all of these medicines are kept, kept affordable for the common man. And this is really a very unique uh, use and situation that exists in India. Uh, it's not the case across uh, other countries. So really in practical terms, uh, if we're talking about the NLEM 2022, this was notify, notified by the Ministry of Health uh, in September. Then uh, it passed hands to another ministry, the Ministry of Chemicals and Fertilizers, the Department of Pharmaceuticals, which is a department under this uh, second ministry, then notified the NLEM as part of uh, the first schedule to the DPCO. And uh, once that happens, then the NPPA, which is the National Pharmaceutical Pricing Authority, the pricing regulator of the country, takes over and starts notifying ceiling prices, making use of a specific formula that is mentioned in the DPCO, which is based on, uh, it's a market-based formula. Uh, but that also uh, means that the whole process is subject to intense engagement and lobbying by the companies whose aim is now uh, to keep their medicines outside the NLEM and therefore escape very stringent price controls. It also affects pharmaceutical market dynamics and the rational use of medicines because there is more emphasis in launching and pushing various uh, formulations that would be outside the purview of the DPCO in order to escape the price regulation. So even though the government's objective, which is that the NLEM should be uh, leveraged as a tool towards increasing affordability, unfortunately, the reality is that the prescription and usage patterns are really uh, deviating uh, from the NLEM so that we know that the NLEM medicines make up only approximately, I think, in the vicinity of about 17% of uh, the market by value. And, uh, you know, I think that this is also interestingly um, one of the sources of concern that the expert committee uh, com has uh, a a mentioned in its report. Mali, you said that uh, this, this is a unique list to India. We first developed our essential medicines list in 1996 and then modified it four times, the most recent, of course, being 2022. Uh, why the long gap of seven years? And ideally, how, how many times must such a list be modified in order to keep pace with new drugs and changing drug profiles? Um, so, as you mentioned, the release of the NLEM 2022 comes after a pretty long gap, uh, whereas it is generally recommended that the NLEM be revised more frequently, uh, perhaps every two or three years, in order to be more responsive to changing treatment protocols, any scientific advancements and new knowledge uh, that um, that has come. But in India, um, as I said, it is uh, linked to price control which is a very technical ex exercise. And uh, therefore, it's not really surprising that the revisions uh, since 2013 can be expected to be a little less frequent. Um, and this is also a constant effort of the industry, which would like more predictability in terms of the pricing. That said, um, what happened was that in uh, 2018, uh, there was a standing National Committee on Medicines that was set up with the precise objective of um, having a continuous evaluation of the NLEM and uh, providing frequent uh, revisions. Uh, in spite of that, you're seeing a seven-year gap. And uh, of course, there is a detailed and thorough process that is followed by the experts, but the seven-year gap is quite long. Um, so I would say that this gap is really also a direct result of industry efforts to prolong the process in the name of the pandemic. And, um, you know, many, many companies we know are heavily lobbying to keep their products outside the list. 
um, thereby trying to undermine the objectives of the exercise, especially in respect of affordability. And uh, we have also been witness to the fact that they have requested for the NLEM to be delayed because we've been part of consultations. In fact, another interesting thing is that about a year before the official notification of this NLEM, the health minister had actually uh, tweeted that uh, the NLEM 2021 was being launched. And uh, that list actually was never made public. However, a leaked version of it was made available to uh, to all of the stakeholders um, had that, but that became a version, uh, you know, that was never actually made public. It was stalled. And so it remains, I, I would say it's, in, it's a curious point that, you know, if the committee was ready about a year back, then why was there such a delay in releasing it finally till we had it out in September of this year? Right. Mali, you said uh, that the, one of the objectives of this list is to make drug prices affordable. Could you tell us a little bit about how uh, drug prices uh, are regulated in India? Okay, so under the DPCO, as I said, uh, there is something called the first schedule. And this is basically drawn um, directly from the National List of Essential Medicines. And at the moment, we've currently moved from a previously a cost-based pricing mechanism to a market-based pricing mechanism. And uh, very simply, I can explain what the formula is for any formula uh, formulation that uh, is derived from that schedule uh, or the NLEM. The NPPA would access market data or collect it directly from the companies in order to um, find out uh, all of the companies that had at least a one, all of the products that had at least a 1% market share, and then just have uh, take out a simple average of those prices and issue that as a ceiling price, beyond which none of these companies can um, go. So they would not be able to exceed the price that is um, that is notified by the regulator. So that's a very simple uh, way of explaining uh, the the you know the direct price controls. There are of course other more technical aspects to the DPCO, and there are other forms of indirect price controls and monitoring of prices to ensure that no drug in the country can exceed a certain price hike every year. So. If you want those details for scheduled formulations, it would be uh, as per the wholesale price index. And for non-scheduled formulations, it, it, it is uh, a maximum of 10% increase a year. And of course, there are other much more technical nitty-gritty aspects to the DPC. Right. So you also told us, Malini, that uh, the drugs under the LEM, it depends upon, of course, the disease profiles in the country and what we believe is required for our national health program. And one of the most talked about points about this year's list was the decision to add drugs under patent. Four drugs that are still under patent, those used for treating tuberculosis, HIV and hepatitis C, which are all part of the government's national health programs, have been added. Some have welcomed this, and but pharmaceutical producers have expressed concerns. Could you talk to us about this? Um, so, yes, there have been uh, four drugs on patent that have been added. Uh, two, two of those drugs are for TB, that's pedaculin and dolamonide. And then there is one drug for HIV, uh, dolutegravir, and uh, then a drug for hepatitis C, uh, daclotasvir. Uh, now, if you access the expert committee report, it documents and um, we have also witnessed this firsthand during uh, stakeholder consultations, that there has been strong industry pushback to wanting to keep patented medicines outside of the NLEM. And it also appears that this was very heavily debated within the committee and also with various government departments 
prior to the addition of these four medicines. However, in my opinion, it is not actually a very disruptive move for various reasons. I think few people are aware that there have been consistent demands from civil society for a compulsory license in respect of the two TB drugs. Um, and uh, this is because um, a compulsory license would be the most effective way to increase access and affordability by allowing more manufacturers to make those medicines. Um, and there was also a petition filed in the Bombay High Court on the subject. The government's stand has been to claim that the situation does not warrant a compulsory license in spite of the massive disease burden of TB in the country and the fact that these drugs are in very short supply and uh, the national program is running very short of these drugs. Now, the expert committee has added them to the NLEM, presumably because they are part of the national TB program, but this on its own is doing nothing to address the monopoly. And we are also uh, wondering how the NPPA on what basis would be setting the ceiling price, given that these are monopoly medicines, and uh, probably it will do nothing to improve access. So it is nothing path-breaking as the committee report is making out to be. And in the case of the other two drugs, the HIV and the hepatitis C drug, um, there are actually voluntary licenses through the medicines patent pool through which a few companies are making the drugs. And we will see how the NPPA will apply the simple average formula and uh, if it results in significant price reductions. I just want to add a couple of points. One is that industry associations like OPPI have been dead set against patented medicines. And in fact, in respect of cancer drugs, it is quite disappointing that many of the very highly priced effective treatments for various cancers have not been included in the list. Um, and this is really an area where pharmaceutical innovation is fastest. And recognizing this, the WHO in recent years has taken steps to expand the global model list of essential medicines in the cancer section. But India has a uh, seemingly passed up an opportunity to make uh, many useful cancer medicines currently priced beyond the reach of the majority of the people more affordable and accessible. You know, the experts do acknowledge that uh, there has been an attempt recently in the last few years by the NPPA to apply something called trade margin rationalization. So it's a soft form of um, uh, regulating just the margins of uh, various cancer drugs. And this was done in the case of 42 drugs. Uh, but this is nowhere close to being sufficient or comprehensive in dealing with the costs of cancer medicines and should not be a replacement for direct price controls. So this is unfortunately, I think, a gap. And um, there is just uh, one last point, which is that the DPCO itself recently underwent an amendment. And this is an amendment that my organization, the All India Drug Action Network, is actually challenging in the Delhi High Court. Uh, it's in reference to the last paragraph of DPCO which provides for very blanket and uh, exemption for um, medicines that uh, have a patent and can actually um, seek an exemption from all of the provisions of the DPCO. And so this is in a way very uh, much counter to the, the chief objective of the DPCO, which is to make medicines more affordable and regulate the prices in favor of the public. Mali, we spoke about how... Uh a lot of medicines, and you pointed out the cancer medicines, for instance, continue to remain extremely expensive and out of the reach and unaffordable for a large section of our population. One of the things that came up in recent years was the cost of stents. Based on the recommendations of the expert committee, stents now continue to stay on the NLEM. Uh, heart disease is now the leading cause of death in India, and the price of stents were always seen as an enormous cost by patients until they were price capped a few years ago. 
Could you talk to us about this and whether the price cap and inclusion on the list has benefited patients on the ground? So the stent price control by the NPPA, um, which was done in public interest, was, um, you know, I think a lot of observers would say that it was really a watershed moment. Other than the very obvious benefit to patients in terms of bringing the actual price of the stents down to uh, approximately 30,000 rupees, and it was uh, much higher than that. Uh, prior to the intervention. It um, has also had other advantages in terms of providing a more level playing field for domestic players to compete with importers of stents. And this was also possible because it is a, a relatively mature area in the medical device manufacturing. So we did have some Indian companies that were making high quality um, uh, stents and, you know, and uh, based on rigorous testing. And um, Prior to stent price control, we had a situation of very high and uh, huge, I would say, unethical margins being provided, uh, particularly to the hospitals, and a situation of artificially inflated prices. And so this intervention has also helped in uh, respect of correcting some of the major market distortions that existed. Of course, the move was incomplete because no steps were taken to actually cap the costs of the procedures, so angioplasties. And these remain very high. In some cases, the hospitals tried to hike the prices of these procedures. So uh, I would say that the move was still extremely successful, very much needed. But the full potential of the move in being able to provide relief to patients did not fully materialize. Now, following the stent price control, we saw that the price of uh, knee implants was also capped. This was done through a slightly different provision. It was not done by adding the knee implants into the NLEM, but it was also making use of special powers in the DPCO. And uh, following that, there was huge pressure, not only from the medical device industry, particularly the foreign industry, but also from directly foreign governments to try to thwart any further attempts of India to regulate the prices of medical devices. And this was coming up constantly. So unfortunately, ever since that move, we have not seen any other medical devices reg uh, being regulated other than the instance of uh, during the pandemic. And during the pandemic, there was some price regulation applied to some of the, you know, the medical devices related to like oxygen concentrators that were very much needed. But what has switched is that what was earlier a very effective mechanism through which the prices were capped for stents switched into a much more uh, relaxed and ineffective way of uh, supposedly capping the margins of these um, devices during the pandemic that actually led to no re not much you know impact and it was also done at such a late stage when you know most of the wave that people were in the in throes of had passed so i think that unfortunately we've uh, we've uh, moved towards um or, you know, very weak, uh, if at all, any kind of regulation on medical devices. And it has also uh, set a very negative precedent, the specific interventions that took place during the pandemic. Uh, I would also say that the standing committee, so the standing committee that is in charge of revising the NLEM, is supposed to be working on a separate list for essential medical devices, medical disposables, consumables, and other products. But there has been no progress in uh, this uh, on this front 
And uh, as far as we're aware, no stakeholder consultations have taken place. So the only work that they have managed to do in the four years uh, has been on medicines. And the NLEM has come out specifically with medicines. If you go through it, there is actually no mention of stents because the understanding was the medical devices would be in a different list and there has been no uh, progress or uh, advancement towards that list. Do we urgently need a separate list for price capping on uh, essential medical devices? You pointed out that a lot of foreign firms, for instance, have been not very happy with this move. What does that mean also? Does that mean that they will um, stop allowing their products to become into India? So that has been um, a threat that has always been put forth to say that, you know, it would not be lucrative enough for these companies to be uh, doing their business in India. But actually, very few of them have actually followed through on these threats. Um, It also depends very much on the product that we're talking about and how uh, much of a, a manufacturing base exists within the country. And also in terms of what kind of dominance exists of the foreign companies versus uh, domestically manufactured products. So um, I think it also you have to look at, you know, medical devices, there's huge range of products, all kinds of products. So it it depends. Now, your first question was whether it is urgent to have uh, a separate list for devices and with the understanding that that list would be used towards price regulation. Um, I think that it's not very clear what this list would look like because it's supposed to involve, you know, not just uh, implants and medical devices, but also disposables, consumables, a whole bunch of other products even used for health and hygiene. And it's not, uh, and I think that there are different arms of the industry lobbying for different things. But I think the underlying idea should be that uh, we definitely have some sort of price regulation on at least the most critical and the most commonly used medical devices in the country. And I think um, whatever you call it, if you go through the vehicle of a list or you just um, you know identify that and the regulator starts taking action, um, you, the outcome basically should be we should have our eye on uh, genuine, uh, ensuring, genuinely ensuring affordability for the public um, rather than just putting out lists that aren't uh, necessarily being, uh, you know, for, uh, on, on which regulation is not necessarily being carried out in the most effective manner. You spoke to us a little while ago about the pandemic and how uh, difficult it was then, Malni. We all saw how during the Delta wave, um, we heard at least stories and anecdotes of people buying drugs on the black market, how drugs were priced really high, drugs that patients wanted but weren't necessarily needed things like oxygen etc so so what do we how do we combat a situation like that in terms of price regulation so um like i said you know there was a lot of black marketing taking place and i think that uh, there were probably many reasons for it obviously one of them was that the the demand was outstripping the supply uh, but there were also i think um, some pretty serious missteps by the national regulator, whereby they uh, did, even though in a very delayed manner, try to regulate some of the prices of these very important devices being used, life-saving devices. But they made big and probably conscious mistakes in applying the formula. For example, they would use data that was right of prices of uh, oxygen concentrators, for example, during the peak of the wave, 
when we know that those prices were hugely inflated because of the supply demand issues and uh, using that you're obviously going to end up with a uh, price prices that uh, you claim you know other uh, other ceilings but in fact do not do anything to really make them much more accessible and affordable and unfortunately now that same approach even post those waves has been transplanted and being uh, followed in the case of uh, further regulation back in medicines and you know continues to be recycled and i think that's been very uh, damaging um it's been it's it's set a very bad precedent and um, and i and and it's unfortunate because we pointed this out many times to the government but um i think that the whole trend is now moving towards more deregulation and there is very high pressure from different um, you know the both the pharma and the medical device industry so it, we are moving unfortunately more towards the interests of the companies and the associations rather than keeping in mind the end goal which is to ensure true affordability mali recently just last week i believe um there was a case in the kerala high court about a woman who was now deceased who was diagnosed with a type of breast cancer and who had asked for one of the drugs uh, to be made because it is patented it was she said that it is too expensive and unavailable at an affordable price and she had asked for it to be made more affordable so you were talking to us again about a missed opportunity with regard to cancer drugs could you give us a quick overview of what's in the list this year what's out what are the positives and perhaps what what more could have been done um so i think this particular case uh, the government did give a very bizarre response um the petition was to ask for a compulsory license as a means of making that medicine more affordable because the the petitioner had uh, provided evidence that her family income was far less than the cost of the the medicine and she wouldn't have been able to afford it and the response has been almost the same as what um i was sharing earlier about the tb drugs uh, which is to say that there was no imminent uh, you know situation of extreme urgency or an emergency but you know these are actually not conditions of setting up a compulsory license by the government so providing this as a response is not really legally on very uh, strong ground um so i think it was a very bizarre response but it just reveals that there is a complete lack of political will to make these uh, to to make full use of the legal uh, tools that are available to bring down the costs of certain medicines particularly in the case of many cancer drugs that are extremely expensive so i would say that you know i've already spoken about how there was a missed opportunity to add more cancer drugs um onto the nlem and i think that some of the thinking has been explained in the report of the expert committee to say that you know they didn't warrant they they didn't think that adding some of these medicines was warranted because of you know the fact that some of these are targeted therapies or they might be relevant for a small fraction of people and also the sort of the impact that these therapies would have in terms of disease progression or treatment but i think that it's always going to be you know when you're looking at the comparative cost analysis you're always going to factor the cost so the committee should have actually considered these medicines uh without keeping in mind the very high price or thinking about it as if this price could be addressed 
then would we think of this medicine as something that we would want to add to the list? And I think that this has been a shift that has taken place at the global level, but has not really filtered down to India yet, you know, where the WHO has a lot of very expensive cancer medicines on the list, but India has not been willing to go down that route yet. Now, there are other positive things, like there were additions to the diabetes section that includes uh, an addition of another gliptin and also an insulin. But there was probably a need to include more synthetic insulins and other classes of oral antidiabetics, keeping in view the diabetes epidemic in the country and unmet need for insulins. Um, and there are a variety of other, uh, you know, therapeutic categories. I can't go through all of them. Uh, but I will say that um, while the NLEM has received wide publicity when it was released. Um, I think it's also really worth giving a read to the report of the expert committee. It is a pretty thorough report that describes, obviously, the concept of what is an essential medicine, the principles for selecting medicines and the process that they took. But what it also interestingly contains are certain concerns and observations on very uh, relevant issues. So, for example, it notes that pharma companies are involved in making a variety of formulations of uh, different strengths and dosages and tweaking the formulations and coming out with, um, uh, you know, to claim some sort of incremental uh, advantage. And also uh, the market is flooded with a lot of fixed dose combinations. But the committee says that they recognize that many of them are lacking scientific evidence and could potentially be having a negative impact by obviously increasing financial burden and also potentially adverse uh, reactions. So the committee has been cognizant of uh, of this issue and actually has recommended against the overprescription and the and the use of these uh, more sketchy formulations, which are unfortunately you know hugely prescribed in the country. So I think that that's very welcome. I think this is a a big thing that the committee has done in respect of irrational FTCs. Uh, for us, uh, we feel there's still a long way to go in terms of defining and implementing scientific standards for the approval of FTCs so that they don't, uh, there is a higher standard before they get on the market at all. And uh, a simultaneous attempt needs to be made at purging the market of the huge number of uh, irrational, unsafe, hazardous FDCs that exist. We have, you know, just in our research estimated roughly that irrational FTCs may account for even up to one-fourth of the full market by sales value. That is quite staggering. Last question, Mali, before we sign off. India has a, a difficult burden of communicable diseases as well as mounting non-communicable disease burden. Um, do you think that the list has uh, reflected both in terms of what it gives uh, priority to as an essential medicine? I think India has... Um, always try to balance that because, as you said, we do have a dual burden of disease. Um, so if you look at all the categories under which medicines are listed, it of course has all of the communicable, um, uh, the non-communicable diseases, but also very specific communicable diseases and infectious diseases. So I think that India has always tried to reflect, you know, the NLEM has been reflected uh, has been uh, uh, reflective of the fact that we have a dual burden of disease. And in addition to um, drugs for communi common communicable, non-communicable diseases, we also have a variety of drugs and special therapeutic categories that are specific to the kind of infectious diseases that exist in the country and different regions of the country. So I think that is one strength of the NLEM in that even through the consultative process, 
the committee does consider, you know, this the prevalence of certain diseases in specific states and attempts to um, provide medicine and therapeutic options addressing those specific prevailing uh, infections. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Malini. You're most welcome. Thank you so much. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.